the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, hello, friend, and welcome to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here on a day of firsts. Well, first of all, it's the very first time Difference Makers will be giving up to a guest host. In fact, there's three of them this time around. Joy Roberts, Lori Sheffield, and Julie Widman from the program for the joy of it. Heard on True Talk 800 Sunday mornings at 1130. And you can also catch the Women's Ministry Thursday afternoons at 2.30 on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ. Hi, I'm Joy Roberts. I'm Lori Sheffield. And I'm Julie Whitman. And we are For the Joy of It. Today we get to welcome John Micah, the lead singer from Cutlass. How's it going? <laughs> welcome. I trying to sing that. That was bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, our listeners are probably wondering why we have John Micah on the Joy of It radio program today. It's pretty exciting. It is exciting. We're excited because we are having an event. We're going to have the first of a series of events called One PDX. And John Micah from Cutlass is the lead singer, and he will be performing for us. He'll be doing a mini concert and we'll be talking about friendship. We're going to have invite women in from all over the city coming in while John Micah sings for us. John Micah, what do you think about coming to an event <laughs> with 520 women? <laughs> well, uh, I, I have to say that's not the, the normal situation for me. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think it'll be great. Um, it, it's, it's an opportunity to, uh, to do something just in the local area here. I've lived in the Portland area uh, since about 1999. Um, so I moved up here to go to college and pretty much have been here ever since. Mm-hmm. And uh, so every once in a while, an opportunity presents itself where I'm able to do something locally. Um, and it's always great to kind of, I guess, serve my home city. You know, I'm gone so much of the year. I'm traveling. I'm in different cities every single day. And so to be able to do something um, at home, it's it's nice, A, because... Yeah, it's great to serve your own city, but B, too, I get to go home at night, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> so right. I'll be uh, looking forward to being able to sleep in my own bed afterwards as well, uh, which is not a luxury that I typically have when I'm doing events and traveling and doing things on the road. So it should be great. We love that. you, John, so you, you are here from, from the Portland area, and you have a family here. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm married, have two kids. Um, my son's 10 years old, oh. and my daughter just turned six. Oh, I love so that. Sweet. Well, we're excited to have you and it really comes about because of your wife and one of your (laughs) wife's friends that's how we work as women but just so you know you are um, just really an answer to prayer we were praying about how the lord wanted us to kick off this one heart pdx um, summer concert series in our city and and we didn't know what that was really going to look like and we have a good friend she's your good friend too dana crocker and she reached out to your wife and said hey we're ha- these women are having this event. They're really awesome. 
um, what do you think about John Micah coming? And and Shannon was like, well, let's talk about it. And so this is this is a really exciting opportunity. We feel like the Lord opened the doors and, and has a special plan for you to come and join us. On and John Micah, we're just excited that you're going to kick off this event for us. I have to say that when I got the call that said, hey, what do you think about maybe serving with John Micah and having him do something for you? I kind of took a big deep breath in and I said, well, let me pray about that. And then without hesitation, I was just like, yes, let's do this. And so it has been really fun working with Shannon. Tell me, you've been married about 13 years, right? Mm -hmm. That's about how long I've been married. And so tell us about this journey of being a rock star and having a family (laughs) and having a wife and, and just, you know, let us know where you're at with all that. These are questions that we have as women. Yes, yeah. women want to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I have to say, first first off, my wife is very gracious. Um, you know, the first year of our marriage, uh, we were on the road pretty much. So uh, we got married, um, went on our honeymoon, and uh, three days after our honeymoon, we went on our first tour. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we were, I mean, we were in the thick of it right away. Um and it's funny how sometimes you look back and you realize how God prepared you in ways that you weren't really expecting. And one of the things that was interesting was we actually dated for over six years um, before we got married. And so um, there were some some struggles with that. I remember, you know, prior to getting married, especially for her, I think she was like, are you ever going to ask me? Um, <laughs> but what was interesting is we'd actually kind of worked through a lot of relationship things um, because we'd known each other for so long. Um, and had spent time together for so long. We, we, there were some things just in, you know, relationships as you get to know one another that you kind of have to work through. And so it was interesting that there was a lot of stuff that we'd already addressed that many people address in their first year of marriage um, that we'd kind of already ironed out and figured out just even in our communication and the way that we talked with one another and able to kind of <laughs> – and we're still – I mean, I think that's a constant – thing that you can improve on yeah, <laughs> in a marriage because right. um, guys and girls do not always speak the same language. Right. <laughs> um, shocker, newsflash, I'm sure <laughs> to everyone. Um, but, uh, but we'd kind of, that, that kind of long period of dating and, and, uh, and everything, I think had actually prepared us more than we'd realized um, until we actually got out on the road. And, and cause just instantly, you know, you're, you're tossed into just this hectic lifestyle. And, uh, and so I'm really thankful, I guess, just for, how God had prepared us up until that point and then, um, and then preserved us through the next, the next season. You know, they say some of the most stressful things um, in marriages are finances um, and moving is another mm-hmm. one, you know, and, and we moved a lot in the first few years. In fact, um, <laughs> so funny because we didn't, we, when we were going on tour, we knew we were leaving. And so we didn't really need a place to live because we were going to be on the road traveling. We literally lived in a van and trailer for wow. most of our first oh year of marriage. Wow. Van down by the river, right? <laughs> um, and so we we moved all of our stuff into a storage unit and we literally didn't have a home. Um, and so like when we were getting our, our wedding gifts and stuff, we're like, where are we going to put it? <laughs> we're going to do this stuff. So we actually asked people, we're just like, hey, if, you know, for us, like a financial gift is way better because it'll help us invest in staying together for the first year of our marriage while we're on the road, um, you know, than an actual like pots and pans or pots and pans are great, but we don't have a kitchen. We don't have a home. So, um, so a lot of people gave just financially to support us um, instead of buying us a gift. And what was really amazing about it was we were actually able to use that money to help cover um, kind of the, the expenses of being on the road. And so our, our first tour, we get out there, we're brand, you know, brand new married couple. We, we fly out to Nashville and, uh, 
we had hooked up with some old friends that had moved to Nashville years ago, and they let us crash at their place, you know, for a few nights while we were out there, so we didn't have to get a hotel. And again, great for a newly married couple. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I mean, sleeping it, on a couch. I'm yeah, just thinking. but it gave us a place to be, you <laughs> okay. know. And, and uh, so awesome. it was interesting though. As this first tour, um, we had actually uh, we were going out with the Supertones and Pax Two Seventeen and Slick Shoes wow. was the, the lineup. We were the first band, and uh, we were on tour buses, and and we had. Uh, basically bought onto this tour. And so in part of that buy on, we, we were allowed to have bunks on the bus. Well, the thing was there was only enough bunks for the band members. So there wasn't provision for my wife to be out there as well. And so we thought, well, how are we going to do this? We really felt like we were supposed to stay together, you know, with new marriage. I was you know, cause otherwise I would have been gone for like three or four months. So, so John, were you the only married band member at this time? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you were the only one married, yep. you're newly married yep. and you're traveling on a bus and there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's, there's no, no, there's no yeah. room in the inn for your wife. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm 21 years old, you know, and oh we're God. trying okay. to figure oh this all goodness. out. And, and you've been uh, dating for six years. Yeah. So you've been dating since you were 15. Okay. Yeah. I'm just getting <laughs> yeah. a clear picture. Wow. <laughs> okay. And, uh, so here, so here we are and I go, what are we going to do? And uh, so we decided to rent a car. We're like, we'll just rent a car. We'll cruise along. We'll take turns sleeping in the bunk, you know. And the thing is, on the tours, we travel at night. So you travel all night. You get to the venue. um, And then, you know, you set up, play the show. Um, Usually, we just go to the hotels to shower for for a little bit. And then we we hit the road again. So, um, So we had to, in order to keep up with the tour, we had to drive through the night every night. And so my wife and I would take turns driving all through the night, wow. every night. And uh, and then when we'd get there, you know, um, we'd usually drive together in the car and we'd get there and then we'd take turns sleeping. I'd have sound check or something. So I would do sound check and she would be sleeping I'm in, glad the, you were young. in the I'm bunk. glad you were 21 oh, totally. years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now I'm like, I don't know if wow. I'd survive. Um, but so she'd take turns sleeping and then, you know, she would get up for a while and get some stuff done and I'd I'd go sleep for a while and we'd get a few hours of sleep here and there. And then we would come back to Nashville and it would be, you know, we'd be out for three or four days and the, the tour was kind of hubbing out of Nashville and we'd come back and then our friends would let us stay at their house and we would just sleep for like Aww. all day, get caught up on sleep, Aww. you know? And it was funny the first night that we pulled up to bus call before the buses were rolling, um, uh, you know, we're all hanging out on the bus kind of, and everyone's, you know, saying goodbye to their wives and stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. See you guys at the show. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, we're following in a car. And they're, and all the guys, you know, these, these other band guys that have been touring for a while, they're like, no, you're not. And I was like, yeah, we are. Wow. <laughs> this is what we're doing. Yeah. And, uh, and they laughed at me. They thought, no way. And sure enough, they, they couldn't believe it. We did the entire tour that way. Wow. And they were just blown away. I can't away. believe that what you're saying is that the Lord prepared you for that and then blessed you through that. Because I think of my first year of marriage arguing over who's loading or unloading the dishwasher <laughs> and who left the toilet seat up. Yeah. But yeah. basically what you're saying is that you endured this, this time of tour and, and most most people would hear that and think, whoa, that does not sound fun. But <laughs> what you're saying is that your time was blessed, you know, and it was it worked everything out for your good. It reminds me of Romans 8, 28. Yes. And so it just testifies to the fact that God takes everything in our lives and yeah. uses it for our good and, and for his glory. And, and when I hear you um, talk about that, the early years of your marriage on May 9th, we're talking about this whole idea of friendships and relationships and um, what was it that really sustained, if you had to pick like one or two things that really sustained your relationship through this difficult and tumultuous time, what was it that carried you? Well, I think, you know, I think it was a difficult time, but we had a real strong conviction that this is what we were supposed to do. Mm. 
And so, you know, I think just perfectly considering that and thinking about that, it's like, you know what, let's just, this is what we're supposed to do. So let's, wow. let's do what it takes. And what was cool was through the different days and seasons, we would find that we actually spent so much time in the car together that mm-hmm. it forced us to talk and spend mm-hmm. like quality time together. Cause a lot of times in your first year of marriage, you're not actually spending face to face time when you have like six or eight hours in the car where you have nothing else to do, mm-hmm. but just kind of hang out and talk. And this is before, you know. We had movie screens and iPods and everything <laughs> in the car to distract us. But it was it was really we found that it was actually a great foundational tool for our for our marriage. Wow. So when you talk about friendships, there's this whole idea that communication is key. And so when <laughs> when you look at coming on May 9th, we're excited because even you in the middle of this women's event can help us point women to the, their relationship with Christ and how we love one another really testifies to the greatness of God. Mm-hmm. And it starts with great communication. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We're here today with John Micah. It's the For the Joy of It team on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Welcome back to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here. Our very special guest hosts for today are For the Joy of It, a women's ministry heard Sunday mornings at 1130 and also Thursday afternoons at 2.30 on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. Again, I'm Joy Roberts. I'm Lori Sheffield. And I'm Julie Widman. And we are For the Joy of It, and today we're here with John Micah. We're so glad to have you here with us again. I don't know how many times we can say that, but we want to hear a little bit about the backstory of Cutlass. So you've been around for a while. Where did it come from? How did the Lord plant those seeds in your heart? I'm an athlete. That's mm-hmm. kind of like my heartbeat. And so <laughs> you were, you had a passion for soccer and what happened? Yeah. <laughs> um, injuries happened, uh, <laughs> continue to happen. Um, I think sometimes God has a totally different plan for your life than you expected and, and has a tendency to, to take you places that were not necessarily your plan for your life. Um, and music for me is something I've always enjoyed. It's something I've done since I was very young. I started classical piano when I was five years old. Um, I picked up the cello in third grade and played that for all the way up into high school. Um, I, uh, I, I sang in a lot of different things. I did a musical like when I was in fifth grade, I believe, fourth or fifth grade. And um, so I, I had a lot of musical background. Um, and then uh, about junior high, I started to play the, the acoustic guitar and uh, started to lead worship and things just kind of one thing led to the next into where I was doing more and more worship leading for youth events and trips. And um, actually there's a, there's a group at my church that I grew up down in Southern Oregon that they do the, just the coolest trips. Um, we do like skiing at Mount Bachelor and rock climbing at Smith Rocks and kayaking on the river. And, you know, I mean these, and this kind of stuff is like, this is the kind of stuff I loved. I'm grew up in Oregon. That's right. like, that's my yeah. bread and butter there. Right. And uh, so these trips were super cool. I just loved, you know, all the things that they would do. And uh, they didn't really have anybody to lead worship on these on these youth group trips. And so they said, hey, you know, we'll let you come on the trip for free if you'll do worship for all this. I'm like, there, I'm there. Every trip wow. you do, <laughs> I'm there. So yeah, yeah. It, was, it was awesome. Um, and so I was able to just do, you know, worship on all these trips. And that kind of got me started um, I guess in in that vein a little bit. As was, far now, as, was this through your church or through your school? It was through my church. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a group that that operated out of the church. Okay, and uh, and so it was, it was just fantastic. I mean, we had we had a lot of great wow. times. Um, wow. And so that was kind of <clears throat> that was kind of the musical background. But all along, I, I really uh, had focused on athletics. Uh, you know, from a very young age, um, 
started playing soccer when I was, gosh, first grade, I think, you know, and, and, uh, was very competitive, uh, did, you know, the classic soccer thing, travel teams and, um, had some, you know, some pretty cool opportunities. I made a, a national team that was, you know, going overseas and mm. ended up not making the trip due to the expense and things. But there was, you know, there was a lot of opportunities like that that was was playing at a fairly high competitive level. And and uh, and then track became kind of my other main sport. What did you do in track? Uh, hurdles, actually, wow. was, was my primary thing. I went to state all four years in the hurdles. And, uh, you know, it was really fun for me to, I was able to, the state championships was at, uh, Hayward Field yeah. there in Eugene. Joy, Joy's a track so, coach. That's her. That's yeah. Her so every year, you know, we'd end up there at Hayward and and to to run on that track. Oh. And then um, I stuck around for the Prefontaine Classic a couple times. Wow. Um, I remember watching a uh, hundred meter run where uh, they they set a world record time, mm-hmm. um, but it was wind aided, so it didn't count. Um, but to watch guys run a world record pace in the hundred, you know, is mm-hmm. just in- incredible. Uh, so it, it was just, it was, it was special for me, you know, it was a lot of fun, but that was kind of my world was you spend every day at practice and, um, you know, and then during track season, I was playing spring soccer also, cause we were playing soccer year round. And so I'd literally go from track practice to soccer practice. And, um, I mean, just a, an intense mm-hmm. amount of training and, um, didn't know how it was all going to end up, ended up, uh, I was scouted by a coach, uh, here in Portland, um, at Warner Pacific college they were kind of rebuilding their soccer program. And so he called me and said, Hey, I'd love to have you come play for our school. Would you be interested? We want to have you come up and take, you know, visit the school and take a look at it. And, and uh, so I, I, I was, I was kind of torn. I, I was really kind of had my eyes on uh, Westmont college down in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably would have majored in surfing <laughs> if, uh-huh. I, if I went uh-huh. down there, but that's just, that's not where God had had planned for my, for my life and my future. And so ended up, uh, the coach was able to work out a full ride scholarship for me. And, uh, and so here I am, I'm like, I have a, I have the opportunity to go to school. It's paid for, um, and play soccer and, you know, and so I was like, all right. And And do something you love. It seems like perfect. Yeah. But I mean, if I'm honest, it it wasn't really where I wanted to go. It wasn't my first choice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then the other choice would have been incredibly expensive and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I kind of wrestled over that. Mm-hmm. And I remember God kind of just spoke to me and uh, he pointed out um, a passage in Psalms where it was talking about the manna that he had given um, the children of Israel and how they complained about it and they wanted meat. And then, and it didn't work out so good for him. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I really felt like the Lord was like, I've provided everything for you. Like, wow. just cause it's not me, like, don't complain about it, you know? And, uh, and I was like, ah, oh, you're right. Totally. You know, like this is yeah. a fantastic opportunity uh, to have school paid for and everything. That's, that's just great. You know? So ended up coming up here, went to Warner Pacific college. Um, and, uh, it was funny because the first night, um, of moving in the dorms, I'd already been there for a couple of weeks cause I'd been training with the soccer team. And, uh, so all the other students are moving in, but I'm already moved in. So I kind of had a day just to hang out and chills. Classes hadn't started yet. We weren't, you know, training wasn't going on until later that day. So I was, I just sit in my room playing my guitar and, uh, next thing I knew I had like 10 guys crammed in my room, mm-hmm. kind of hanging out, turned into like a little impromptu worship time. Guys were asking, Oh, can you play this song? You know, and it was just crazy. And, uh, and so the RA of the dorm had stopped in like, Oh, what's going on here? You know? And, uh, and he checked it out and after kind of things had fizzled down and, and people had kind of gone back to the rooms, he was like, Hey, I, you know, clearly you know how to lead worship. And he was like. I've been wanting to do like a, like a youth led, you know, student led worship night. 
um, here for the students on campus. He's like, would you be willing to maybe lead that? And so here I'm a brand new freshman in college and I'm instantly being, you know, put in this position of leading a a worship night. And I was like, okay, sure. Why not? You know? So we started on Thursday nights, um, doing a, just this worship thing. And there's a handful of other guys in the dorms like, Oh yeah, I play the drums. I play the bass. Hey, I'd love to be part of that. Let's, so we ended up with this little kind of ragtag worship band and, uh, and, and so we practiced every week for the for the worship band, and Thursday nights we do uh, just in the chapel there. We do um, you know worship service for students on campus, oh. and, um, <laughs> and as that kind of like unfolded, I, I really began to feel like God was calling me into music, and wow. and gave me a real passion and focus and heart for that. Um, and it, it was it became kind of this burning fire almost in, in my heart that I never really had in that way before. Like I always enjoyed music. But it was a hobby for me. It was mm. something that I, I, I did for enjoyment, for entertainment. And I started writing songs when I was, I think the first song I wrote, I was 13 years old. Um, and I was in Israel with my dad. And uh, we, had, we had watched the sun come up over the Sea of Galilee. And he'd written a poem. And, uh, and then I was like, oh, that's a beautiful poem. I should put that to music. And so I, I put the poem kind of to music. And that was the first song that I'd mm. ever really written. And from there, I began to write songs over the years. And just had kind of a stockpile of songs that mm. that I'd just written just for my own enjoyment and as a way of just an outlet and expression, I guess. And and so this little worship band over time, I remember one night we were practicing and, and one of the guys was like, man, it's really been on my heart to do music and, you know, use it as a ministry tool and, and uh, do concerts and just kind of outreach through music. And uh, I was kind of like, man, that's really been on my heart too. And we looked around and we're like, well, we kind of, we have a little band here, mm. like, I've written some songs. Let's, let's just, let's do it. You know? So I brought the songs that I'd written and we practiced them. We set up a little on-campus concert, you know, and that's where we started. We started doing some local stuff just around the area and, uh, just for fun, you know? But as that grew more and more, I felt very much like this is where the Lord was calling me and directing me. And, and, um, so interestingly, my sophomore year I had had, um, we've had a few different, a lot of injuries, lots of concussions. Um, but during the season I fractured my sternum. Um, Ouch, and, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, and I played, uh, the thing was I, I played hurt for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. And so I, I took a few weeks off and then played again, but it was, uh, you know, I was playing with the fractured sternum and, and if I were to get hit there again, the consequences would be pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really, it was hard to, to play such at a, you know, competitive college soccer and yet knowing I can't get hit in the chest or it'll mm. put me in the hospital, you right. know? And yeah. so it was this constant struggle for the rest of the season. And it was, it was frustrating, honestly, because I felt like I couldn't be at a hundred percent. Well then, uh, at the, at w- you know, the season ended and actually went well. I was successful in the season and had, had made like the all conference team and all that kind of stuff. But then, uh, in the spring training, uh, I, I had a bad sprain, uh, my ankle in, uh, um, in practice turned into a chronic sprain. So my junior year, uh, I couldn't, um, I was still hurt. I was still limping, couldn't run a hundred percent. And I just didn't want to go through that again, you know, where I played hurt all mm-hmm. season. So I decided to redshirt my junior year and little did I know, uh, what God was about to do in our lives and how he was going to change direction. I love how um, good plans are not always God's plans. (laughs) And so that's kind of like he's unfolding your story and he's painting this beautiful picture for you, but it's nothing you ever anticipated or imagined. So John Micah team, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to John Micah Summerall of Cutlass with For the Joy of It on Difference Makers. 
Difference Makers returns with a very special interview with Cutlass's John Micah Sumrall, hosted by For the Joy of It. They're heard Sunday mornings at 1130 on True Talk 800 and Thursday afternoon to 2.30 on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. I'm Julie Whitman. I'm Lori Sheffield. And I'm Joy Roberts. And we are here with John Micah and For the Joy of It Radio. And we're just on the edge of our seat to hear the end (laughs) of the story. John Micah, you're just telling us about college and soccer and injuries and and how God works everything out for your good and his glory. And so we're just ready to hear how is that end of the junior year going to end? <laughs> yeah. So a uh, junior year of college, here I am, uh, uh, chronic sprained ankle. I've been doing physical therapy and rehab all summer from a spring injury, still wasn't healthy. Um, and so I, I spoke to my coach as we decided to redshirt my junior year because I didn't want to play hurt again after the previous season playing hurt <laughs> all year. And, um, you know, that, that changed the dynamic of the season for me because when I'm typically when, you know, you're training every day and practices and it, it kind of consumes most of your life, um, you know, particularly at the college level, I guess. And, and I guess when you're not practicing, you're eating or sleeping. Yeah. And, and you have classes and, you know, and so it's, it's very busy and. And your commitment to travel with the team, you know, when the team's traveling and everything. Well, once I redshirted, then I was I was around. I was still kind of training here and there, but it wasn't that like commitment of like, hey, we got a game this weekend. I got to be there. Um, you know, it was so it was a little more casual of a, of a relationship where I was still training and still doing some things, but because I was also injured, I still wasn't training 100. percent And so it just gave me a little bit of room to kind of do some other things. And what was interesting is during that season is also when um, kind of the band stuff started to really take off. Mm-hmm. And had that not happened, I don't know that I would have had the time to be able to invest into the music mm. that I was doing um, that it that we really needed um, for that season to be able to take the next step. And so um, it, it was pretty amazing, right? Uh, you know, we start, we'd already started training for soccer season. And, and uh, I remember um, one of the guys, uh, James, our guitarist, was working at Zoomies in the mall here. Mm. Um, My son wants to work there. <laughs> it's a dream job. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And so he's working there, and uh, at the time, the WWJD bracelets were really popular, uh-huh. and he was wearing one of those, and just as a tool, sometimes people would ask him about it, and he could share his faith. And so this guy walks in, and uh, and they start talking, and he's like, oh, he's like, are you a Christian? And like, yeah, I am, you know. Oh, what church do you go to? And they start chatting, because it's Portland, right? Uh-huh. So yeah, right. if you find uh-huh. another Christian, you're like, hey, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you do uh-huh. exist. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so they so they start talking, and, and, you know, James was like, oh, we go to, you know, we go to this church, Athey Creek. Uh, at, at that time, Athey Creek Christian Fellowship was at the middle school, Athey mm-hmm. Creek, and which is right across the street from Rolling Hills Community Church. And the other guy says, oh, my dad's a pastor at Rolling Hills. And so they started chatting and we're like, oh, no way. You know, and so they they're kind of uh, just like just talking. And and so inevitably the band came up somewhere in all of that. And uh, and James was like, yeah, I've got this band. We're a Christian band, like doing music. And, you know, we've got a show coming up. You should come out. And, and the other guy seemed really interested. He's like, man, I'll definitely love to check that out. I can't make that day. because some other stuff going on, but I'd really love to hear you guys. He's like, well, my name's Seth Ebel. He's like, my brother's Brandon Ebel. He owns Tooth and Nail BC Records. Um, and he's like, I would really love to hear you guys. He's like, I really think that it might've been divine intervention. We ran into wow. each other today. Like, I think God might, yeah, totally. Uh-huh. I think God might be doing something here. James is just like, oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> you know, what wow. just happened? And uh, so anyways, they exchanged contact information and, and we stayed in touch. Um, 
Now, at this point, did you have your name Cutlass? At this point, did you have no, a, a uh, band name? We had a band name. It was something else. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm cu- okay, well, I'm curious about the Cutlass name. I yeah. mean, tell me about the Cutlass name. Yeah. Well, uh, once once we signed our record deal a little bit later on, um, we needed to come up with a name that wasn't, okay. wasn't trademarked. Our, our previous band name was called Callbox. That's where we went. Callbox. Yeah, okay. for the... For the local days here in Portland, okay. um, we signed a record deal. That was actually that was name was actually trademarked by a band in California. So we oh. we needed a new name. Uh, I'm kind of thankful for that now. Oh. Um, but um, we came up with the name Cutlass. Uh, the idea behind it is uh, when Christ died on the cross, He bore all the cuts and bruises that we deserved, leaving us without those cuts, and therefore cut less. Oh. Um, then we spelled it with a K because you know it was like the early 2000s and. Phonetic spelling was cool. We're, luck- we're we're lucky we didn't end up with any numbers in our name too, um, but it, you know okay. there was like cut like the Cutlass Oldsmobile Cutlass, you know, oh, okay. and there was the Cutlass Sword, and okay. so a lot of we, to kind of differentiate. You know, we spelt it with a K, so it would be a little bit different. Um, and you know, the dot com wasn't taken; that was helpful. Okay. You know, <laughs> all yeah. that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what we went with it. is is Cutlass and uh, and but we ultimately yeah, from that. From that um, time that we uh, spent with Seth, or where James met Seth, um, um, later on uh, we ended up meeting up with him, and uh, he heard some of our music, loved what we uh, loved, what you know, mm-hmm. what we had. We did a developmental deal. We went up to um, Seattle in their studio, recorded a few songs up there, and then um, and then uh, between pretty much between the time that we had him come visit us. And and hear our band, um, which we practiced down in our basement on a college campus house. Uh, so he just came over to our basement. <laughs> so and, you basically had this group of friends that got together, and now you're this massive, well-known rock star group. And <laughs> and so how did you keep the friendship alive through the ups and downs and trials and struggles of of being on the road and traveling? I mean. As women, we we focus a lot on friendships, and we know friendships are hard. Tell us about what have been the best things in your friendship, and what's been the challenges in friendships. Um, I, you know, we talked about communication earlier, um, yeah. and and we've had some guys come and go over the years. You know, the lineup's not the same as it was uh, in those first early college days, but um, but regardless, I, I think that in in every season and the different guys that we've had over the years. Um, I really do think communication is important. And, and the reason is because our tendency is when there's an issue or a problem or feelings are hurt, um, our tendency is to hold that in, especially as guys. I think we tend to hold that in until we volcano erupt <laughs> at a later point. And, and that festers and it grows. And then you begin to lose sight of even reality. You become so you know consumed with your perspective or anger or bitterness. And lots of times the other person is not even aware of what they did um, and would happily apologize and make things right um, if they even knew, you know, and we're all wired differently. And, um, you know, for me personally, I'm not, I'm not a typical musician as far as the way that I operate. And, you know, I, my whole life, like I said, I grew up with athletes and, Mm -hmm. and sports and, you know, athletes kind of have this, like, especially you know, men, we have kind of this respect code that is like, we don't have to talk even at all to mm-hmm. say a lot between right. one another. We're all married. And, we get that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so there's, there's a lot that's spoken in the unspoken and the way that we respect mm-hmm. one another and the way that we interact with one another. Well, a lot of musicians in general are, are, 
are a bit more um a, a bit more emotional i guess you could say as far as like wearing the emotions on the sleeve a little bit more that's why the artistic side works so well for well, most like, musicians. Well, like pop stars write their songs when they break up with their boyfriends. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we hear all about it. We hear all the details yeah. of what the breakup looks like. And so you're, what you're saying is you, you're dealing with it. And Yeah, so most musicians are a little more roller coastery than mm. like most athletes tend to be very, very mm. flat plane kind of. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, or they'll be hot-headed. Like, mm. they'll, you know, they'll be flat plane and then they'll blow their lid. Right. Um, Musicians generally, just personality-wise, tend to be a little bit more roller coaster, higher highs, lower lows. Um, and so for me, kind of being somewhere in the middle there in the way that I'm wired, typically, I don't always understand that. And and I don't always communicate well in the way that they need to be communicated with. And so that can be misinterpreted sometimes. And I found in my relationships occasionally that um, I have to step outside of my comfort zone in order to communicate, not in the way that I naturally communicate, but in the way that they need to be communicated with in order to preserve the relationship. And I, and I found that this is true with my wife as well, is that, you know, um, even when we talk about love languages, mm-hmm. um, this is true. What's really fascinating to me is, um, you know, uh, I believe Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, And he talks about how there are different love languages that we all have. For some people, it's words of affirmation. For some people, it's um, gifts, you know, for some people, acts of service. Exactly. And so there's these five love languages. And I began to look at my relationship with my wife and kind of look at what that, you know, what are her love languages? And it, it took me years, honestly, to realize that you know, for her, acts of service is one of the best ways that I can love her, which means things like mopping the floor. I hate mopping the floor. Well, and it's hard for you to do when you're on the other side of the country. <laughs> to- totally, totally. But if I come home and I, without her asking me, mop the floor, like to her, that just means the world. And and so I don't like doing it. I don't naturally come home and be like, you know what I should do? I should mop the floor. Um, but I realize that, that in- that's an investment in my relationship with her. Um, and so for guys, a lot of times too, as we communicate, um, we all have love languages and that's, what's interesting, even, even men. And what I, the other thing I realized is my kids yes. have love languages. Yeah. And Gary Chapman wrote a book on that too. Yeah. Yeah. Him. And yeah. I've realized with my son, he's wired similar to me. And so he, he very much operates in the realm of respect. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, I had to really think about, am I giving my son respect or am I always being the dad that's like do better. You got to, you know, pick it up. And I realized, man, I need to speak to him in a way that's respectful and build that up because that's his love language. And so in my relationships with my friends and my bandmates, I've realized that I have to, I'm not great at it. I'm still learning, but step outside my comfort zone oftentimes to be a true good friend and communicate in the way that they communicate um, and, f- and find those love languages and, and, and invest into those to build the relationship. Well, on May 9th, we're going to be talking about this whole idea of friendship. And it's this idea that we cycle every seven years, we cycle in and out of friendships just because of our, our seasons of life. But it's so important how we interact and care for one another. We're going to go back to, to John 13, where, where we are called as believers to love one another because it's our testimony. And so how you love your wife and, and how you honor and respect your band members is really a testimony to where 
you are at in your relationship with Christ, and that applies to all of us women in our relationships. It really points others to Christ by how we love and communicate with each other. This is Difference Makers on True Talk 800, and filling in to interview John Micah from Cutlass, we have Joy Roberts, Julie Whitman, and Lori Sheffield from the radio ministry for the joy of it. Sunday mornings at 11.30 on True Talk 800, and also on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ, Thursdays at 2.30 p.m. Difference Makers returns with a very special interview with Cutlass's John Micah Sumrall, hosted by For the Joy of It. They're heard Sunday mornings at 11.30 on True Talk 800 and Thursday afternoon to 2.30 on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. I'm Julie Whitman. I'm Lori Sheffield. And I'm Joy Roberts. And we are For the Joy of It. And today we are here with John Micah, the frontman, the lead singer of Cutlass. Just welcome back, John. Thanks for being here. Definitely. Thanks for having me. We are super excited to worship with you on May 9th at One Heart PDX in Lake Bible Church in Lake Oswego. We're going to be gathering women and churches from around the area to come together to worship and have kind of a, a concert and a conversation about friendship, which we've been talking about today here with you. And we're just we're thrilled. We want to we want to hear more though. There's more to this man behind the music. <laughs> so, John Micah, what is the Lord stirring in your heart besides music? What is your heartbeat? <laughs> what is, what is your passion and desire as as you seek to honor the Lord in everything you do because that's what we've been hearing you say. Yeah, you know, I think it um at some point you kind of have to look at your life and go, what, what am I doing with my life right now? What does it mean? What does it matter um, from a bigger picture than just the moment? You know, I mean, obviously you have to pay the bills and take care of family and things like that, but is there anything more uh, to my life that has meaning and, and depth? And so even when I look at our career and I feel like we've accomplished so much, I'm so thankful for what we've been able to do. Um, I began asking those questions. Is this, is, am I just going to stay here for the rest of my life and continue to do the kind of the same things that we're doing and, you know, try and get the next radio single and put out the next record and the next tour. And, and even you saying that it's a reminder for us to, that we all need to be asking ourselves the question. We, life is, is not just this progression. The Lord's constantly shaping us. And so he's shaping you for something beyond what you've been doing for just the last, what is it, 12, 15 years? Yeah, and I, I think li- that's the thing. Life is a constant journey. I think mm-hmm. if we ever just stopped and, 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 you know, we get in a groove where we just are sitting, um, it's usually not healthy. <laughs> yeah. and, right. and the Lord wants to grow and move and continue on. And and so, you know, a few years ago, I kind of began just looking at our country, honestly, as a whole. I, I looked at, we've been to so many places. We've performed in all 50 states, um, been to about, you know, 18 countries around the world. Um, and so I began to look at our culture, our country and, and where we're headed. And, and it just really concerned me, honestly. And, uh, I thought, man, we need to see a revival or we're, we're headed for some really dark times. If we don't, if we don't see revival in our country in the next few years, um, I think we're going to exponentially see tragedy and darkness and problems, you know? And I think we're already starting to feel that, um, culturally. And so, I began to think, well, what do I, what do I have in my hands? What can I do? How can I help? How can I influence? How can I do more? And I just began to really focus more and more on kind of the ministry aspect and the ministry side of what we do. And, you know, I, I, I'd say that Cutlass has always been a ministry minded band. That's been our, our heart and our goal, but I wanted to do more, you know? And so as I thought about that, I, I realized that revival comes through God changing the hearts of the people. I can't change people's hearts. Only God can truly change people's hearts. And, 
you know, it, it's funny we're talking about communication and loving people in the way that they need to be loved. That's not a natural tendency for us. That's a godly uh, love to sacrifice your own your own desires and your own wants. I mean, that's what Jesus did for us as he laid down his own life. And that's what we're called to do as, as husbands and wives is to lay down our own lives and our own wants for the sake of our spouse. That's, that's a godly love. And so I thought, man, I, you know, the only way that people can be, that's not natural. The only way people can be that type of a person is for God to change their life. It's the only way it makes sense. And I thought, well, Man, we have the opportunity to speak into th- literally thousands and thousands of people's lives through our music and through the stages that we take throughout the year. And I thought, what, what if that were to be used, that platform were to be used for the purpose of evangelism and sharing the gospel and helping people get started, um, you know, in, in a walk with Christ and, and introducing them to the gospel? You know, I mean, I was like, man, that could be so powerful. And we love doing events. We've done, you know, evangelistic events. We've done events with Luis Palau organization with Billy Graham. Um, we've done events with, uh, you know, Harvest Crusade down in California. I mean, I, I love it because it's these evangelistic ministries. They're awesome. We're, we're going to the Ukraine coming up here with a ministry called Pulse Ministries, and we're doing six different cities in the Ukraine, you know, a war-torn country right now, um, all outreach evangelistic events. We're really excited about it. Um, but I thought, man, for us, could, could we be doing more? And, and so we started a nonprofit, uh, evangelistic nonprofit called EOTA Ministries, stands for End of the Age Ministries, which comes from the Great Commission mm-hmm. there in Matthew. And um, lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. And one of the things I realized through our travels and, and as I look at our country is that I think where we're missing it a lot is in this next upcoming generation, the millennial generation, which... Uh, uh, is kind of that that age group that were born um, between, I believe, 1984 and 2004, kind of that range um, of people. And these are the young people who are coming of age right now, who are becoming adults, who are shaping the course and the future of our country. And uh, I thought, man, are we just the church is not being very successful with that age group. And if you look at all the statistics, um, I believe the last statistic I saw was young people who grow up in the church, millennials who grow up in the church. When they turn eight between the ages of, I believe, 18 and 25, 75% of them will leave the church. And only a um, small percentage actually return. I think it's like- yeah, it was, I think it was about half of the 75% that leave mm-hmm. will eventually return. Mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, we're, if we're losing 75% right out of the gates when they turn 18, like we're doing something wrong, right. you know. They're, clearly their faith is not the core um uh, the, the core uh, bedrock for their value system and who they are. And, and so I go, man, wh- where have we gone wrong and how can we reach this generation? And, and I discovered a few things. I think, first of all, this young generation speaks the language of technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the reality of it. Whether you like technology or not, um, if you're not communicating to them via text messaging and social media, you're not communicating to them. That's the way, if you look at high schoolers at a lunch table, right, they're right. texting each other. They're sitting two feet from each other and they're I've texting got each two other. Yeah. I know that to be true at my own and, kitchen table. Uh, and by and large, the, the church is just rooted in traditionalism where we've not embraced technology very much. Some churches are trying to, but I feel like we're so far behind the curve. If you look at, you know, businesses and marketing campaigns, they're all there, 100%. That's where their focus is. Um, the church hasn't really invested there. And so I think we need to invest there. I think it's important. Um, secondly, I had just a fascinating realization about the millennial generation specifically, and that is that they do not use logic to define morality or truth. They use experience to define morality and truth. And um, we see this in, we, we try and reason with young people and it doesn't work. And we go, why is it not working? This is so logical. Um, 
And, and I had an interesting conversation with a, with another guy from another band. He's probably 21 years old. And we began talking about a lot of the hot topics and, in, in you know, social topics, um, you know, morality things, everything from homosexuality to abortion to, you know, all, all these different things that are hot topics in our, in our media. And, and things and, that that generation faces mm-hmm. and, and things that they're being asked about and they have to make decisions yeah. and choices on. And, and I began to show him, well, here's what the Bible has to say. You know, and, but it was like, well, I just don't know if I can accept that, you know, and, and I began to then break down his, cause I'd ask him why. And so we'd work through and his reasoning for things, I would then take elementary logic and show him that what he was saying was illogical. Like his basis for why he believed what he believed, just, it didn't make sense from just a simple logical perspective. And you what, came alongside him and were his friend. I mean, that's really what I'm hearing. Well, you came yeah, along, coming but, alongside them and be, having relationship with these guys. But I was, but I was trying to teach him. Like what, what he, I was, what, I was trying, trying to show him it. where, where his error in his logic was sure. thinking that that would help him realize that what his, his foundation for the way that he was operating was, was an error sure. that he needed to have a better system to determine morality and, and a proper Christian walk and all those things. And what was really interesting is I, I, I basically pinned him down to mm-hmm. where he didn't have a logical explanation that he could come back with because his, his operation was Ill- illogical, but he said, you know, I just, I just don't feel right about that. He's like, I just don't know if I can believe that because I don't feel that that I don't, I just don't feel that that could be right because my experiences have shown me that these things, you know, Christians act this way and that causes hurt and that causes harm. And therefore I don't see how I can implicitly trust the Bible Mm. when people who represent Christ and who claim to be followers of the Bible have created all this chaos and problems. And I've experienced that in my personal life. He's like, I just don't know if I can buy into that. But when you look at that conversation, it's you had a platform to speak truth into his life because of your relationship with mm-hmm. him, because mm-hmm. you're having this connection That's with him. And, and he was willing to engage with you because of that, that relationship. And so I, we feel passionately, like when I hear you speak, and I'm sure, Lori, Julie, you feel the same way. We're like, amen. <laughs> we have that same heartbeat. Yeah, and our hearts are really to empower and equip women to be um, intentional about investing in those relationships and having those conversations that you're having so that we are equipped with truth mm-hmm. so that we can actually speak truth to the next mm-hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's um, something as far as a great commission that every single one of us yeah. should be seeking to do. The trick is though, I think that's so important to understand is that speaking truth into a young person's life, especially a, a millennial is not very effective. Mm-hmm. Living truth yeah, I agree. is extremely yeah. effective. But that comes from the relationship. They, they see how you live and, and not just what you're saying, but they see what you actually yeah. do and how you actually live. So they want to see it works. They yeah. want to see that it's true. They don't want to be told that it's yeah. true. And Absolutely. so that's the, that, that's where we've missed it so much. I think I in agree. our culture is we try and reason and use logic and yet we don't show it through our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a con that's a contradiction that young people can't buy into. Mm-hmm. Well, so, and our hope at, for the joy of it is to unite the body of Christ specifically to unite women of the Portland area. So that together through each other and our relationships with each other, our friendships with each other, we can actually be built up on the foundation of God's word because we think then and only then is when we can actually live it out for his glory and live with joy. Mm -hmm. And so we hope that everyone listening out there will join us on May 9th at seven o'clock at Lake Bible Church. We are going to see you again, John Micah. Mm -hmm. We're super excited to worship with you and have a concert and a conversation 
about friendship. Get your tickets at joyofit.org. We'll see you there. Thanks so much to John Micah Summerall from Cutlass for joining Lori Sheffield, Julie Whitman, and Joy Roberts from For the Joy of It. Catch their radio ministry Sunday mornings at 1130 on True Talk 800, as well as Thursday afternoons at 2.30 on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ. And thanks for listening to Difference Makers. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.